survival was almost unspeakable. We are all evil in some form or another. I'm not guilty. The dead won't bother you. It's the living you gotta worry about. If I couldn't keep them there with me whole, I, at least I felt that I could keep uh, their skeletons. Hello and welcome to the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. I'm Vicky. And I'm Janelle. And we're back again this week. I sound totally normal. Totally normal. Not at all sick. I'm not over here fearing for my life at all. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. No, it's that time of year. It's cold season. So I you caught a cold. You play that fun Russian roulette game of COVID? Oh my cold? God. Flu? I know. Allergies? And that's the thing is it's like, what is it this time? Mm-hmm. What is it? It's just a cold. I can assure everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, Janelle, in fact, <laughs> is the only one in this entire place that does not have any sort of cold which Dear is God. great i'm not gonna make it out of here a lot <laughs> probably not and i apologize for that fine. at least i know it's coming now i can yeah. prepare myself <laughs> just up that vitamin c in the next couple of days you'll be fine right? it's now all good. i can just mentally be like it's not covid it's yes vicky's cold <laughs> it's just vicky's gross ass cold <laughs> yes i've been trying to not i have a mask right here but i'm not gonna mask while we record because mm-hmm. you're far enough away from me I think. yeah That's yeah we sit pretty far away yeah anyway we <laughs> don't we don't we don't want to be touching anyway yeah, i have a magic eraser in front of me to protect me it's in our contract we can't say closer than this yeah ever I don't, I, you guys probably don't know this but vicky and i absolutely don't even get along no this is all for show right. um well we have another great show for you if this is your first time listening a special hello to you uh let's head over to the newsroom So our news this week comes from the BBC. On November 26th, a man named Hayden Brown decided to put glue into the keyhole of a lock at a COVID vaccination center in Girlston. Okay. Just to be a dick. Okay. Um, so this, of course, means employees were not able to enter the building. It stopped 504 people from getting vaccinated, most of whom were elderly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was identified by the cameras and arrested for causing a public nuisance and criminal damage. This was not like the first incident that this vac- uh, vaccination clinic had, like with people trying to fuck with their Did shit. Sabotage it? Yeah. So after like the first couple of times, they put up cameras. Well, yeah, that's smart. Right? (laughs) And apparently it worked. Most of, okay, yeah, most of the 504 people were elderly. Brown also admitted to possessing cannabis, which was found at his home after arrest, (laughs) just to top it all off. I know, I'm just kind of like, meh. But that's, I mean... Just putting I glue mean, in. They were just like, sorry, guys, we can't get in the building. If you don't want to get a vaccine, that's fine. You, whatever you want to do, fine. Right. Okay, whatever. But, like, don't ruin it for people who want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's... I mean, what? It's a crazy world out there, folks. You want to <laughs> it's protest? a little crazy. Protest. Go for it. Yep. You want to not do it? Okay, fine. But, like, why are you obstructing people from getting a vaccine just <laughs> just to be annoying because yeah. they want attention it's all yeah. about them mm-hmm. just saying mm-hmm. <laughs> on that note we're gonna move on to netflix and kill this week we are talking tiger king 2 ah uh, yes 
Um, okay. I didn't watch it. So, did you see that they're going to come out with? Yes, thing? we're going to talk it's about gonna, that. I know. Going and going and going. So, for those of you who don't remember or were like living under a rock the last year, uh, Tiger King is a Netflix documentary that follows the exploits of Joe Exotic and his exotic animal zoo, Winnie Wood, um, his arch enemy Carol Baskin, Jeff Lowe, who comes in and like takes the zoo over, among other interesting and eccentric characters. Uh, Tiger King Two sort of picks up where the first one left off. Joe Exotic is serving a 22-year sentence for hiring a hitman to kill Carol Baskin and violating the Lacey Act and the Endangered Species Act. Jeff Lowe is like in the midst of moving zoos after Carol Baskin took possession of the property in relation to a lawsuit um, that Joe Exotic owed her on. And so she took control of the original property. The exploits of Tim Stark, who was kind of this... I'm pretty sure he was in the first documentary for a little bit, but he becomes this whole story in and of itself. Recently... I can't even. Recently, Netflix announced a three-part continuation of the story called Tiger King the Doc Antle Story, which arguably is one of the more interesting elements because he's like a fucking cult leader. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm sure we talked about that when the Tiger King, the first one, came out. Mm how culty that whole thing was um that will have been out now like by the time this episode comes out it will have been out for probably a week or two Mm -hmm. anyway okay tiger king 2 let's talk about it (laughs) um i mean it definitely appeals to that sort of like trash tv part of me oh yeah first of all i'm gonna say it's not like quality content i guess i don't know how to say it another way it's I enjoyed it. Like, don't get me wrong. I did absolutely enjoy it because they kind of were able to really go back and pull on a lot of these threads of these stories that they presented in the first part. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, doing like a full episode on Don Lewis and the whole thing with Carol Baskin, I think more of the information they presented this time around made me feel like, okay, maybe Carol Baskin murdering her husband is not the only thing that could have happened to him right Mm -hmm. whereas i remember watching the first one and being like she fucking killed her husband you know i mean (laughs) in a way they talked about the police report of her walking down the street and her brother was a police officer and all that stuff that sounded a little bit i'm not saying that's not possible now but i just feel like there are more possibilities than just the one right Mm -hmm. but it was really great that they went back and devoted like such a large amount of time to being like okay here's more of the story here's what happened afterwards you know they talk about uh her going on dancing with the stars and like that was really the commercial that Mm -hmm. they aired i know (laughs) it feels like ages ago that was really like probably less than a year ago no, was I think it was more than that. No, was it? Yeah. I thought it, maybe it was like the beginning of last year. I don't know. Anyway. Time is irrelevant. <laughs> Tim Stark, uh, who is just like very sovereign citizen vibes. Like that's very, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Sorry, very I just, much. I just listened to the behind the bastards about uh, libertarians. And yeah. Very libertarian vibe. Like. I don't know that he is necessarily, no. but it's that kind of 
deal where it's like these are my animals what i do to them when i have them is my fucking business blah 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 i'm not threatening you i'm just legally threatening you that i'm gonna come after you and everything you love <laughs> legally like what the, what the fuck was that some people just shouldn't be allowed to talk <laughs> i know i know um that was a whole interesting thing but i will say i was wondering like because obviously there are some people who chose not to participate this time around they right. did use some stock footage of stuff that they had from last time they recorded which if you've been following the news carol baskin is actually suing the documentary team mm -hmm. because they only agreed slander, sl slander basically mm -hmm. but they're like we only agreed to use the footage for the first documentary <laughs> not for the second one mm -hmm. anyway that's a whole thing so like they didn't participate i don't think doc Antle actually participated even though they're coming out with this, the couple of things. Yeah. Maybe there's going to be a surprise in there. We will see. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But so, so just the amount of, I don't know, the amount of stuff they have is just, just insane. What, what are your I don't know. Thoughts? I got a little upset with the part where they were like talking about the guy moving his entire zoo down there after what's his face. I'm, my brain isn't working today. After the other guy got his zoo bought out and he moved all the animals down there and they all died because the air conditioner was Tim working. Stark? Yeah, that's his name. Oh, um, yes. Like, oh my god. And then he, yeah. when he was so the police come in and raid his property to mm -hmm. get all of these animals and he tries to hide a bunch of them in a trailer like in this fucking field somewhere weather. in 100 degree weather hoping no one's going to find it with animals that don't have any food or water mm -hmm. they're just like in or cages air. or air in cages in the back of a fucking trailer mm -hmm. so he's murdered he's a monster what did they say like it was like a hundred something yeah, it was almost 200 exotic animals, animals like died in the yeah. back of that fucking yeah. trailer Ugh, yeah that made me just like okay I gotta, but that honestly i don't know a single person who runs an exotic animal whatever that isn't a complete fucking idiot or a douchebag yeah yeah okay <laughs> it's true it's My true sister worked for one when she was in high school around yeah. here oh bad news bears oh god she left yeah but they had tigers yeah and they That's... had lions they were mostly reptile based but yeah guys can we just not just leave them be they also had vicious emus oh. so vicious <laughs> She would tell me that God. they would like chase after her. And I'm like, Why oh the no. Fuck do you work there? Go back to Pizza Hut. <laughs> where it's safe. <laughs> Safer, at least, right? I guess. <laughs> um, so if you want to check it out, Tiger King 2, I would recommend it because I do think like it. It gets really wild towards the end. Oh my God. And when they're talking about. Like I just like I do the kind girls of... coming into the park and them like being predatory and trying to like oh God I know get all these like young pretty girls to be part yeah. of their you know to work there but really it's more like a sex slave situation right it's fucked that's <laughs> fucked up I do kind of love like this Joe Exotic just like this kind of overall narrator from prison who right. is not experiencing any of this on the outside but is just like sitting back like yeah well fuck them mm -hmm. like yeah, fuck these people but him and jeff Lowe sort of like working together is that was banana i they're just like yeah we still fucking hate each other but we hate the government more yeah <laughs> Which, man, if that doesn't make a great friendship. Because right? they even say, like... Mutually assured destruction. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's like a crab bucket. Mm -hmm. Anyway, 
if you got a couple hours to kill right if you're sick check it out yeah if uh, on the couch with some tiger king too (laughs) pretty much yeah yeah it's it'd be good for that Mm -hmm. it takes no brain cells at all to watch (laughs) it's really good if you fall asleep too and you come back awake and you're like what's going on okay yeah too heavy Um, all right. This is that part of the show where we say content may not be appropriate for all listeners. Mine's actually not too bad. Mine's not too bad either. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this week we decided to do something we have not done in a while. Uh, we're doing a wild card episode. Wild card. Wild card. Pull that out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I have no idea what Janelle is covering. I looked at it long oh, enough to make sure it wasn't the same. It's definitely not. It never is. It never is. I know. So I have no idea, but... A couple weeks ago, we covered sports crimes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, there's this other thing that I want to cover. Ah, more sports crimes. More sports crimes. Does this involve balls? <laughs> or is it a different sport? Uh, is a ball a sport? <laughs> well, is a ball just the one ball? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so we are going to talk about Balco. Okay. Talk, are you familiar with this at all? I, not by that term. I don't know what that is. The Balco scandal? No. Okay. This will be good is then. Is it college related? No. Because well, I don't follow no. any college sports. If you're like no. March Madness, I'm like. And I'll I don't say know too, this was not like specific to one sport either. Okay. okay. So this was huge deal. Huge, huge, huge deal. Um, so, and I w- I'm also going to say this is one of these stories, again, that has a lot of intertwining storylines. And I really, this is like the TLDR version. Mm-hmm. Reader's Digest streamlined. (laughs) Okay. So for me, cheating is like one of those areas that for some reason I just find really fascinating. (laughs) Um, It's like the links that people will go to to either get ahead or like be the best is astounding. You love a good flim flam man. I do. And it's probably why I am so interested in white collar crime is because it's like at the end of the day, it's just people who are cheating. Yeah. Ultimately. This particular story, well, it's part of me was like, it's kind of light on the crime, but not also. (laughs) But the scandal itself rocks the sports industry around the world. So, of course, we're talking about Balco. In 1983, Victor Conti, with his first wife, Aubrey, opened the Milbrae Holistic as a vitamin and supplement shop in Milbrae, California. Wait a minute. I think I know what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> I think I watched a documentary about this. <laughs> okay. It's possible. Yeah. It's possible. After only a year open, Conti decided to close the shop and instead start the Bay Area Laboratory Cooperative, or Balco. It was intended as a sports supplement business, but would end up being, oh, so much more. Oh, so, so much more. The idea was that Balco would do regular urine and blood testing on athletes to determine where mineral shortages were in the body and then provide minerals and supplements to achieve the perfect balance of minerals in the body and thus improve their performance. Mm-hmm. I take some supplements. I know what you're talking about. Okay. Mm-hmm. All sounds pretty good. But to do this in like the most ideal way possible. Mm-hmm. This was a business model for a while before Balco took off in the summer of 1996 when Conti was able to get Bill Romanowski, who is an NFL linebacker for the 49ers and the Broncos, when Romanowski decided to join his clientele list is like really when Balco sort of took off. So when Romanowski joined up with Balco, things were on the level for a while. 
until Patrick Arnold, who is somebody I've seen described uh, in my research as a rogue Illinois chemist. I mean, we have a few of those. If you remember our live show that we did at the Fringe Festival. Oh, God. Another yeah. rogue Illinois True. chemist. True. <laughs> Do we just or spawn not. rogue <laughs> Illinois chemists? Mm-hmm. Oh. So when, when Patrick Arnold joined up with Conti, they changed the supplement game supplement in heavy quotes also so while at balco anderson created the never before seen this is okay this is going to be one of those episodes <laughs> especially because i'm sick too geez okay, okay. Um, you did this to yourself just remember that <laughs> i know uh tetra tetra okay also known as thg thg or the clear which gives me very Scientology vibes. Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, THDG was designed to be undetectable by routine tests for anabolic steroids, although it produces similar effects of bigger and stronger muscles. They also talk about it doing the opposite things of men and women. So if you are a male, you get more of these feminine outcomes, like your breasts become a little bit bigger, you know, like that kind of thing. More emotional. More emotional. Yeah. And in women, it does the opposite. You get sort of like your voice lowers, you actually lose breast size, you know, it's so... That's, that's steroids mm-hmm. for you. Balco also used erythropoietin or sure. EPO, <laughs> human growth hormone, mm-hmm. modafinil, also marketed as Provigil, and testosterone cream. All of these things are taken in a cycle and at the right times would be undetectable by drug tests, including tests at the Olympic level, which you would assume are more rigorous, but have proven not to be in recent years, uh, which we'll talk about a little later. These would all be taken in addition to mineral supplements. And honestly, like the results were undeniable. I mean, this stuff did get results. Yeah. Steroids work. Steroids work. Like things. (laughs) Yes. I mean, people take steroids for not bulking up. Steroids can be beneficial. Yes. (laughs) In moderation under the supervision of Mm -hmm. an actual medical doctor. Not a Um, chemist. (laughs) Yeah. Conti is largely (laughs) self-trained. And (laughs) I love a self-trained physician. (laughs) Giving these supplements and things. Um, I mean, it's not sketch. (laughs) In addition to Romanowski, Conti was able to work with MLB players Barry Bonds, Benito Santiago, Jeremy Giambi, Bobby Estalella. (laughs) Estalella. I can't. It's fine. Sports fans are going to be like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, and Armando Rios, hammer thrower, John McEwen, shot putters, Kevin Toth and CJ Hunter, sprinters, Dwayne Chambers, Marion Jones and Tim Montgomery, Zana Block and Kelly White, middle distance runner, Regina Jacobs, boxer, Shane Mosley, cyclist, Tammy Thomas, and a few people from the Oakland Raiders besides Romanowski, including Tyrone Wheatley, Barrett Robbins, Chris Cooper, and Dana Stubafield. Stubblefield. <laughs> <laughs> Sound it out. Sure. <laughs> and the 1988 U.S. Olympic judo team. 
just the whole damn team. Yes. Whole and I don't even think that's a comprehensive list. List. That's just like. Obviously not. Yeah. That's just like. Um, if it was proven to work that well, there are way more high profile people who could afford to hide it. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. So pretty soon there were investigations beginning into Balco and allegations that they had been providing athletes with banned substances. In fact, there were two parallel investigations happening that were not, I don't know if they weren't aware of the other one, but they were definitely not working in tangent. Um, One was by federal agents in California, and the other one was by the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency, which I thought, they're both federal entities, but like, I don't know. I'm sure eventually they got their shit together, but (laughs) we'll see. We'll see. Uh, So in August of 2002, the federal agents began their investigation. And then in June 2003, after the USADA received an anonymous tip that Victor Conti, founder of Balco, was distributing undetectable designer steroids to athletes. The tipster was kind enough to send a syringe of the steroids to the agency. Oh. Um, later, it was revealed that Trevor Graham, who was the former coach of Marion Jones and Tim Montgomery, was the tipster. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Which I'm like, something bad must have happened, you would yeah. assume, to be like, well, fuck you then. I'm telling mm-hmm. everybody about the steroids. The syringe was given to Don Catlin, who was the founder and director of the UCLA Olympic Analytical Laboratory. There, he had uh, developed a test for THG and was able to identify the substance uh, that had been provided to him. In September 2003, agents from the IRS and the San Mateo County Narcotics Task Force raided the Balco offices, along with the home of Barry Bonds personal trainer Greg Anderson. Just one month later, the USADA went public with the findings of a doping conspiracy, and days later, a grand jury investigation began into the scandal, and numerous high-profile athletes are subpoenaed to come in and testify. That'll be important. Mm-hmm. So while the investigation by the grand jury continued, Marion Jones decided to sue Victor Conti for defamation after he claimed to have given her performance-enhancing drugs. Mm. Okay. Okay, so here we go with this. <laughs> the lawsuit would later be settled out of court for an undisclosed amount. Then in February of 2004, the government indicts Victor Conti, Balco executives Jim Valanti and Greg Anderson, and track coach Remy Korchemny for money laundering, fraud, and possession with intent to distribute. So take that. Uh, in an interesting twist, As the case is working its way through the courts, two writers with the San Francisco Chronicle, Lance Williams and Mark Fainaru-Wada, begin releasing secret grand jury testimony from some of the baseball players that had testified in the grand jury proceedings. Uh Oh, okay. No one was really, like, sure where the leak was, but U.S. Attorney Kevin Ryan requested a formal investigation into where it was coming from. They were like, who the fuck is giving these reporters great jury testimony? Mm-hmm. So that's happening. Also, while the rest of the court stuff with uh, Balco is going on. So the main players in Balco decided that cutting a plea deal was probably the best thing mm-hmm. in this case. Yeah. I mean, really, when you're looking at any prison time, it's like, maybe. Yeah, you want to go for a guarantee instead of a question mark, generally. Yeah. So they all started pleading guilty. In July of 2005, both Conti and Anderson pled guilty to steroid distribution and money laundering. 
Conti later received four months in prison and four months house arrest. Anderson ended up with three months of each. James Valenti also pleads guilty to steroid distribution. He only received probation. And then just a few days later, Remy Korchemny took his opportunity and pled guilty to some lesser charges, uh, eventually being sentenced to one year probation. Okay. So nothing like I would consider too serious. Couple of months at most. Mm -hmm. The investigation into the grand jury leak, meanwhile, is continuing. And eventually, the whole thing centers on these two journalists who worked for the San Francisco Chronicle. Now, both Williams and Fainaru Wada were subpoenaed to testify by a federal grand jury. Of course, the two of them pleaded with the court to release them from testifying, citing journalistic integrity, saying they'd rather go to prison than reveal who their source was. And this isn't the first time in history this has happened. Yeah. It happened with Bob Woodward, I think, uh, when he was releasing the Pentagon Papers mm. and they were trying to get him to come in and testify. He, in fact, wrote an affidavit in their behalf when they appealed the subpoena, which eventually got denied. They were both sentenced to 18 months in jail, which, I, you know, great use of our resources, I guess. <sighs> um, but before they could serve any jail time, Troy Ellerman, who had been Victor Conti's attorney, admitted to showing the grand jury testimony to the San Francisco Chronicle. Ah, we find our leaker. Um, later, he pled guilty to four felonies, including contempt of court and obstruction of justice. For this, he received two and a half years in prison. I know. Wow. Janelle just made a series of faces that were like, what? Why is that more? It's a great question. Sometimes I feel like... The sentencing is um, like a dartboard and they just throw a dart at it and wherever it lands is. Yep, that sounds good. Two and a half years. Yeah, because <laughs> even with the plea deal like that, like Victor Conti had, for instance, he got four months. This, this guy pleads guilty. Especially with people who have so much money, honestly, don't even waste your time giving them jail time and just fucking fine the shit out of them. Right. Stop them from being able to be in sports anymore. Yeah. Truly ruin yeah. their life. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I would honestly not be surprised if he didn't get his license revoked mm -hmm. for that because that's some serious shit. In 2007, Marion Jones, after years of denying any wrongdoing, admitted to lying to federal agents about her steroid use during the 2000 Olympics, also saying she thought at the time that they were flaxseed oil. Yeah, that's a big difference. Yeah. Because flaxseed oil is definitely not injectable. No. <laughs> and maybe she wasn't. I mean, maybe she was getting both. I'm sure she's both taking supplements orally and mm -hmm. having injections. But like, Yeah. That'd yeah. be a little worrying if you were injecting flaxseed oil. And I'm like pretty sure steroids don't come in a gel capsule. I don't know. I'm pretty sure they're a tab. Maybe science? <laughs> anyway. Uh, so she ended up receiving six months in prison and two years probation as part of her plea deal. In the meantime, Barry Bonds had also been indicted on perjury and obstruction of justice. In 2011, he was convicted on one count of obstruction of justice for which he received 30 days of house arrest and two years probation while the other three counts of perjury ended in mistrial after the jury couldn't agree. 
he then went and appealed the one um obstruction of justice 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 charge i'm sorry get it out eventually <laughs> uh the charge was eventually dropped and overturned by federal court of appeals so he ended up not receiving anything now there were definitely like changes put into the sports world following the balco fallout the main one being uh, Major League Baseball put a steroid policy in place where if you fail one test, you have a 50-game suspension, two fails is a 100-game suspension, and three fails is a lifetime ban. Which is, like, so crazy because, like, this was way after the fucking home run race where every everybody who hit a home run in the 90s was on steroids. Yeah. Well, they all later tested positive, didn't they? Like, yeah. every single one? Like, much later, after the fact. Yeah. Which is yeah. kind of like... So they do that on purpose so that they can keep making a bajillion dollars of the eight million home runs that these people hit. Yeah, yeah. But if you look at pictures of all those people too, like they did side by side comparisons of people when they were like just starting out and when they were in their peak, and you could definitely tell they were doing steroids. Yeah, you don't just by their size. size by exercising. One of the things I saw in my research was like when Barry Bonds came back uh, the next season, like he had like bulked the fuck up mm -hmm. and gained so much weight, like muscle weight. Mm -hmm. People were like, oh, OK, like, all right, I guess that's a yeah, thing now. I mean, that can happen, but it takes yeah. a lot of time. You have to first of all, you have to gain all the weight. Yeah. And then you have to work out a shit ton to turn that weight into fucking muscle. <laughs> right, right. Oh, my God. So, obviously, like, doping and illegal steroid use is still a huge problem. If we take a look at the latest, uh, probably the, the most recent one to memory is the uh, Russian doping scandal, of course, mm -hmm. that kind of it resulted in the country, like, sort of kind of being kicked out of the olympics yeah you know kinda that's that's even wink. a controversial thing mm -hmm. because they said you can't participate in the olympics under the russian flag but you can participate under the olympic flag as athletes from russia which is okay. like okay <laughs> you know and I, that's not to say like every athlete that is participating in the olympics from russia is guilty like that's not also mm -hmm. what i'm saying but that's not really any sort of punishment for the country of putting like this huge doping scandal in place. You're still letting athletes from the country come and participate. You've got to be foolish if you don't think Russia is still in charge and interfering with all of that. Yeah. They're Russia. Hello. Right. Right. They're going to be do Russian things. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to Kremlin it up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously this is still a huge issue. I don't think it's taken as seriously as it should be, or at least the measures are not as strict as they should be. Like, even for the MLB, like, three, you have to fail a steroid test three times to get a lifetime ban. Mm-hmm. That seems like a like a lot. It, I mean, it is. It should be. It should be like the other one thing. and done. So, like when you have problems with your spine or muscles, they do issue you steroids. So, if you took steroids like that, even a small amount, like a twenty milligram pill for your pain, you would yeah. still test positive, and that would still remain in your system. Yeah. So, but if they have records of that stuff, right. mm -hmm. and if it's because really they're looking for banned substances, like yeah. there are certain steroids that they're looking for when they run these tests, you mm -hmm. know. And I'm sure they can tell the difference and I'm between. I'm sure it is more of a amount of steroids and not necessarily 
if it's steroids, period. Yeah. I'm sure they're looking yeah. for a specific amount over a certain right. whatever milligram. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Take it more seriously, people. <laughs> um, now, if you're curious about what happened to Victor Conti, don't worry. He's still in the supplement game. <laughs> He's still out there hustling. It is the ultimate snake oil salesman you know, <laughs> genre now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so when he was released from prison, Conti returned to working for Scientific Nutrition for Advanced Conditioning or SNACK. You won't be a snack. <laughs> part of the snack fam. Um, so it was a company that he'd actually started back in 1987 after he had founded Balco. Um, it was a wholesale distributor of nutritional supplements. And the business is 100% legal. He has now um, come out and is a vocal advocate for year-round drug testing. Interesting. Yes. <laughs> um, he's He seems to have the opinion of like, well, they shouldn't be able to get away with like. You kind of let me get away with it, right? Like, Uh maybe you need to do better. Mm -hmm. Uh, But has also said he's got no interest in doing anything illegally in business because the company itself is like a two something like $250 million company. He's like, I have all this money. Why would I want to go to prison again? Which, Mm -hmm. fair enough, you know, but don't worry. He's doing fine. I was concerned. Yeah. yeah. Uh, So that is the Balco scandal in a nutshell. So mine is going to be completely different and old timey. Are you ready? Okay. Yes, I am. So our tale today will include gold rushes. Okay. Sunken ocean liners. Oh, God. Late stage colonialism. Oh, of course. Bunk forensics. And of course, a touch of murder. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I'm getting already the old timey vibe Uh from this. Now, you're probably wondering how all of those things could happen at once. Yes. Well, it's it's because there's this beautiful period of time where all of these kind of technology and old-timey things are happening. So buckle up, because we are going to talk about the life and ultimately untimely death of Sir Harry Oaks. Okay. That sounds like a fake name. Yes. It's not. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. So Harry Oaks was born in the United States. Now, I know I said sir, which is not um, not a thing in the U.S., but that will become a story much, much later. Okay. Okay. Um, Harry was born in Maine in 1874 and was one of five children. Harry Oaks graduated from Foxcraft Academy and went on to Bowdoin College and graduated in 1896. And then he spent two years at Syracuse University Medical School. In 1898, he left medical school because he heard there was something super cool happening in Alaska. What could possibly be cool other than the weather? A gold rush! Oh, right. (laughs) Oh, So he decided to leave school and try his luck, um, which would actually turn out to be a good decision for him. Okay. Um, Which, you know going to strike gold hardly ever is. Um, So this is the most appropriate time for me to use my old-timey prospector voice. So here we go. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) For 15 years, Harry traveled around, making his way from Alaska to California, over to Australia, down and around Africa, and back to Canada, looking for gold. 
traversed the world. All right. And in 1906, he found himself shipwrecked off the coast of Alaska and was taken prisoner briefly by the Russians before being allowed to return to Alaska. Oh my gosh. Right? This is like fucking wacky. Okay. Now, he started working as a deckhand and went out to Australia and he would fail at finding gold in New Zealand and California and in California he actually almost died because he suffered from the most severe heat stroke you possibly could. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. He does not sound... I mean, he sort of has this shifting luck. Yes. He's not lucky or not, but... But he would find his luck in Canada, which... <laughs> Wait till you hear what the town name is. Maple syrup. <laughs> no, I wish. Oh. Um, he would finally make it there in a town that he would wind up in called Swastika. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh no! Swastika, Canada. Swastika, Canada. That's unfortunate. Does that I place mean, still exist? Probably. I don't know. Yeah, Canada's kind of racist. So Canada. So there on Kirkland Lake in 1911, he would lay a claim to a mining spot with financial help from three brothers, and in 1912, they would strike a huge iron ore deposit. With that money, he was able to buy another spot that wound up being an even bigger strike. It would be a massive gold deposit. The Lakeshore Mines that he created would wind up being the second biggest mining outfit in the Americas. Wow. Yeah. So nice. Filthy fucking rich. Yeah. Now, after striking it rich, Oaks decided to take a world cruise, which was like a really big thing at the time. You just get on a boat for months. And just be off into the ocean. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> Which no. I don't know why anyone would do that, because this was literally a year after the Titanic sank. <laughs> I guess. So no fucking thank you. But maybe I feel like, you know, then it was like way more common to be traveling by boat. You oh, know, yes. it'd be like, oh, a car crashed. I'm never going to get in a car, mm-hmm. you know. But he went on this trip and he actually met a very nice young woman. And I mean, young, like 26 years younger than him. Oh, wow. Um, And her name was Eunice McIntyre. She was actually the daughter of a U.S. government official. So when the couple returned to uh, Canada a year later, they married and Oakes renounced his American citizenship to become a Canadian, which is a thing. You can go to another country and be like, I am no longer an American. (laughs) And... Sometimes they'll let you come in. <laughs> Still? Yeah. Oh. You can around citizenship. Okay. Lots of people who commit fraud and are hackers do that. Oh. All the time. Where do I sign up? No. <laughs> you just go to the Russian embassy and say, I renounce America. Oh, God. <laughs> and they'll be like, cool. Cool. <laughs> let us torture you first. And then That's we'll good. See. Yes. <laughs> So he renounced his American citizenship, he became a Canadian citizen, and then he decided that he was going to make his way to the British-owned Bahamas to live with his wife. Now, this sounds like a confusing move, because you just became a Canadian citizen, now you're moving to the British-held Bahamas, what gives? Well, they moved there because living in the Bahamas meant they didn't have to pay taxes. Of course. And he Smart. thought by becoming a Canadian citizen, he could get out of a lot of taxes. Well, it winds up he was actually going to be paying double the taxes. Oh, my God. Okay. Research. Yeah. <laughs> now, at this point, he was making $600,000 a day at his mines. 
Wow. So in in early 1900s money? Yes. That's a fucking lot. That's a lot. His friend, Sir Harold Christie, actually told him about the deal in the Bahamas. Like, oh, you can come down there and like, it's no big deal. And it'd be really wise for business. And he's like, that sounds great. Let's cheat the system. <laughs> so he and his wife had made their way down there. They settled. They had five children during the time period of 1925 to 1932. Wow. And they were just kind of like relaxing maxing making lots of money doing nothing in the bahamas fair now unfortunately half of his children would ultimately die untimely deaths due to car accidents and or overdoses oh god um that's unfortunate it's unfortunate uh, and oak started to kind of as he was down there shift his business a little bit and he got into real estate so he started buying up land all over the island and by the 1940s he owned one third of the island wow that's a lot <laughs> he just wants to buy his own island. Now, he sounds like a real trashy person right now. Yes. Because, you know, evading taxes, buying up all the land, just being probably overall racist. Sounds American. Um, Exactly. Now, to kind of be a devil's advocate, he actually was doing a lot of philanthropic uh, uh, ventures down there. Okay. So he built a waterworks, which running water in the Bahamas wasn't a thing. Yeah. Uh, he built a golf course. Uh, he set up a bus service for the people who are native to the island, so they had okay. public transit. Um, he also built an airplane service so that people could be airlifted off the island in emergencies, so if they were severely sick. Um, he also created a free milk program for children at the local um, schools and a fund for unwed mothers. So okay. women who had children out of wedlock, yeah. um, kind of like, you know, the yeah. women's shelter. Yeah. He I mean, also, yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> not that's not terrible stuff. I will say some of that stuff, it sounds like he would also benefit from, you know. Oh, yes. Like having an airport or having a mm -hmm. uh, public transit or running water. like airstrips at all. Really? Yeah. Because you're, this is like 1900s, 1920s. Yeah. Airstrips weren't yeah. really like a thing. Yeah. Um, and it was all small biplanes for the most part. Yeah. So. He would also make a gift donation of $400,000 to St. George Hospital in London. Now, that sounds weird, but it's because he had some friends. And this is, this is kind of what helps him become a sir. Okay. It was also at this time that his sister would die in the sinking of the SSS Mohawk in 1935 because war. Okay. <laughs> this is the beginning of World War II. Sure. But Oakes was doing super well, and his good deeds did not go unnoticed. And in 1939, King George VI rewarded him by bestowing upon him the title of Baron. So now he would become a Sir. All right. So this would actually be a hereditary title that would pass down to his children. So it wasn't just he was like a, a knighted kind of a Sir situation. Yeah. A Baron, you know, when you have your kids, you become Barons and Baronesses. So. Okay. And in case you are not too keen on world history at this time, Britain was still colonizing the shit out of the Bahamas. So the entire area down there, almost all of the Caribbean was still owned and operated by straight up colonialism. <laughs> of course. It wasn't until after World War II that most of those places became independent. Yeah, so. yeah. And as I said, it's the beginning of World War II. People didn't want to get in between the superpowers um, like and, and their showdown. So a lot of people fucked off to all of these islands. A lot of people left England and France and Spain because they were also going through a civil war and just went to the Caribbean and just were like, we're going to live here now. Yeah. 
sure this is ours now this is much nicer i mean it was always theirs obviously colonialism right right yes but they're like we're just gonna like get out of london before we get totally bombed out of london and go to a beautiful beach yeah (laughs) but all of this good fortune unfortunately would come to an end in 1943 it was July, which was a heckin' rainy season in the Bahamas, and Harry Oakes was alone in his home. His wife and children had actually went up to Maine to their vacation home for a bit, and he was supposed to follow and head up to Maine with his family a few days later. But he would never make it. Sometime after midnight, during a storm, Oakes was murdered. Oh, no. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> With a candlestick in the library. It's very Clue. Wait, is that real? No. That's, oh. I thought I was going to be like, no way, that's crazy. It's close, but not like that. His friend Harold Christie was actually there spending the night because they were going to do something later um, the next day before he took off. And Christie would be the one that would find him the next morning on the floor. He came upon him and his head was bashed in. He had burns all over his body. And an even weirder twist, he was covered in feathers from a pillow. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So pillow weird. fight gone wrong? Yes. Flaming pillow fight gone oh, wrong. Oh, God. Extreme <laughs> pillow fighting. Right. Now, upon investigation, it looked like he was struck in the head four times with an ice pick. Then someone attempted to light the body on fire. The bed and the mosquito netting were also charred, and the walls of the room were smeared with blood and soot. So I'm trying to like picture scene. (laughs) Yeah. I'm trying to picture in my head, like what could have happened? (laughs) Right. You know? So upon hearing this terrible news, the Bahamas governor, who was actually the Duke of Windsor, formerly King Edward VIII of the United Kingdom, who abdicated his throne. Oh, yes, yes, yes. um, He took charge of the investigation. Oh, no. It was a not on my watch kind of a situation. He's kind of an asshole, too. He's He's kind of an asshole from what I know of. uh, Yeah. English history. It all sounds really romantic. No. But it's not. Oh, no. No, it, it wasn't. It yeah. was. Mm-mm. Yeah. The two had actually been pretty close friends for the past three years. And since it was a really small island, news traveled fast. But the Duke did try to keep it out of the papers to no avail. Because he's like, you know, in charge of this whole island. And he doesn't want a rich white man's murder being headline news. Of course not. Now, this ghastly crime, coupled with Oaks's standing, made this story overtake the world news cycle and made the war coverage second page to the rag business. So he was beating out Damn. World War Two yeah. stories. <laughs> so, That's impressive. Yeah. The Duke of Windsor believed that the local police would not be able to handle this case, especially because of its magnitude. So he brought in reinforcements. Now... This guy was really dumb. <laughs> okay. And he thought like, oh, it's World War Two, and the Scotland Yard is too busy to handle a case of a dead baron. They're not. So he didn't even bother contacting Scotland Yard. Which, wow. Was that not a crime? Yeah. I don't know. So he called two of his friends in Miami who are police officers in Miami kind of as like a backup. Now, I don't know how this is a legal thing. I don't know about 1930s 
jurisdictional things between Britain in a colony and inviting U.S. police officers. Yeah, that's a little sketch. I mean, jurisdictions were a thing in 1943, but right. I really don't know. So they were called down as someone who was supposed to be like associating on the case and just kind of like assisting. But they wound up overtaking the investigation and fucking it up royally. Boom. Pun intended. <laughs> Good job. Thank claps. you. Claps for you. We need a clap button. Applause button. Okay, that's that's next Christmas. Applause. Applause. Yeah. <laughs> 36 hours after Oakes's body was discovered, they had arrested Oakes's son-in-law, Count Alfred de Meunier. Okay. <laughs> the French aristocrat de Meunier had eloped with Oakes's daughter, Nancy, in New York City, where she was studying, without her parents' knowledge, Ooh. two days after her 18th birthday. Ooh, this saucy. Was in 1942, so it was only a year saucy. before. Okay? So de Meunier was actually 14 years older than Nancy. Oh, come on, guys. And they originally had met at the Nassau Yacht Club in the Bahamas. And he was a really prominent sailor, so he was kind of, like, hot to trot. Okay. Um, and I don't know why people find Frenchmen just so unbelievably resistible. But if you look at that man, he literally looks like what you imagine the old man in the sea character to look like. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> um, Maybe he had yeah. personality. He had an accent and some money. <laughs> I, I mean, guess that's good enough. <laughs> that's hot. <laughs> So the two actually dated for a couple years before they would elope, and her parents didn't even realize that the relationship was serious. They thought he was just trying to court her, and she was kind of, like, playing it off. They had no idea that she was actually, like, going on dates with him and stuff. Oh, my God. And before meeting and marrying Nancy, de Marinier was a playboy. Like, he was constantly, he would float around different countries, going to all these yacht clubs, sailing in his boats, and being, like, just rich and French. <laughs> Rich and French. Baguette, baguette, baguette. Right? <laughs> he never had a real job. So it's like, what? Oh, my God. And it left this bad taste in her parents' mouth. Because it's like, this guy just fucks around on a boat all day. And sure. never worked a day in his life. Right. Coming from a man who was self-made. Right? Yeah. So true, there was some true. contention. Yeah. So Nancy and Alfred had also been living in the Bahamas at the same time. But during her father's murder, Nancy was on her way to Miami to do a summer dance course. She was very into the arts and she was constantly doing like summer courses and going on trips for dance and I think writing as well. Yeah. Now, she went to her mother's upon hearing the news of her father's death, but then left immediately when news came in that her husband had been arrested as the main suspect because he was still down in the Bahamas. Now, the two Dumb and Dumber cops uh, led the theory that De Marnier and Oakes were feuding, and according to them, they found De Marnier's fingerprints on the nightstand. Here's where it gets suspect. Wait, they had fingerprints on algae back then? Yeah. Okay. Fingerprinting goes way back. Okay. Yeah. Accurate fingerprinting? I mean, I wouldn't say accurate. (laughs) Don't you remember Sherlock Holmes? Yeah. Dusted it with graphite with the big brushes. Yeah. Big brushes. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Um, I wouldn't say it's very accurate, but you'll see how it's fucked up because this is the bunk forensics part. Okay. Now, Nancy believed her husband was innocent, and she hired an American private investigator named Raymond Schindler, all of these unfortunate names, and British-trained Bahamian lawyer Godfrey Higgs. 
Um, the two immediately discovered s- several issues with the case, and Damien Renier was actually at a dinner party that night, and guests stated that he had stayed up late way past the time of Oaks's death, kind of partying and being French. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just being French all over the place. Right? Then there was this issue that the only evidence they had was fingerprints. There was no other evidence of him being in the house, but magically these fingerprints. One of the Miami cops stated that they lifted the fingerprints off of a Chinese screen and the nightstand. Now, a thorough cross-examination during the trial of De Marinier the lawyer showed that the cop actually had not positively identified the fingerprints until several days after he declared that they were De Marinier's. Okay. So, he had taken several dozen other fingerprints from Oaks's bedroom, many of which were still not processed weeks later. And an American fingerprint expert witness testified for the defense, called into question the professionalism of the techniques used by the detectives in the case. Because you don't declare someone as a suspect and say you have fingerprint evidence and you've taken the fingerprints, but then you don't test them until after you arrest the person. Mm, Sketchy. illegal. Yes. The expert testified that the De Marinier print looked very likely like it could have come from the Chinese screen. It could not have come from the Chinese screen since none of the background pattern designs from the screen appeared on the print photograph. So what he's saying is that if they lifted the fingerprint from a screen, there would be a screen pattern behind the fingerprint. And there wasn't. So when they were doing fingerprints, were they... Just dusting them with graphite and then taking pictures of them? No. At the time? Or were they actually lifting them? They were actually lifting them. Okay. And then they took a picture of it for the investigation. Okay. case. Yeah. So they physically lifted the fingerprint. So if they physically lifted it off the screen like they said it was on, there would be the texture of the screen behind his fingerprint. But there wasn't. Gotcha. Which means that the fingerprint was not actually ever lifted from the screen. Okay. Okay. So... De Marinier testified that he had not visited the Oaks' home for two years, and because of ongoing conflicts with the Oaks', he had never planned to come back. It was determined that the fingerprints, in this case, were fakes. Ooh! It appeared that De Marinier was purposefully being framed. During, oh, that's so sketchy! During De Marinier's interrogation, fingerprints were lifted from his water glass and pack of lucky strikes and were placed at the scene of the crime. What? Which is why there was no pattern. Okay. So the trial Who's went on. framing him? Oh, my God. Right? This is like, this is a very juicy, like. It's too juicy. Yes. <laughs> this would make for a good television show. It really would. Yeah. Now, the trial went on for several weeks, but ultimately, Dame Renier was acquitted, but not before the government deemed that he was an undesirable alien and kicked him out of the Bahamas. Good job. Way to be French all over the place. Right? He left with Nancy, and they went to go live in Cuba with Ernest Hemingway. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Full circle. Okay. (laughs) Old man in the sea? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Old man in the sea. Um, In 1949, the two would eventually separate, and to this day, the murder of Harry Oakes is unsolved, and no one else is on the suspect list. Now, here are some important points I want to kind of highlight, because... There's a lot of issues, okay? Sure. Harry Oakes was rich, and really anyone could have wanted him dead because he was rich. Right. Someone knew that he would be alone and without his family. And also, if 
Harold Christie was in the house with him. How did he not hear the murder being taken place if they were in the same house a few rooms apart? Harry Oaks owned a third of the island, so like anyone with real estate interests would want to have him dead. Like, I don't know, Harold Christie, who was a real estate agent. Yeah. (laughs) And there was something in the way that he died that tinged on humiliation. Like, he was covered in feathers, which is like, you're a coward. Yeah. You know, like tar and feathering people. Sure. So there's all of those issues. And I kind of looked up conspiracies revolving around this case, and there was a couple of them on the internet that were pretty interesting. Okay. So one conspiracy suggests that the Duke himself was involved in a massive currency speculation and had borrowed $2 million from Harry Oaks. So that's why he wanted him dead, because he wanted his money back. (laughs) Okay. I kill you, I don't owe you anymore. Yeah. (laughs) The other one uh, was that the Duchess was having an affair with Sir Harry Oaks, so the Duke's wife possible okay Mm -hmm. another theory was that chicago mobsters were trying to build a casino in nassau and oaks was blocking them because he wanted to buy the same property that seems like the most realistic one so far so far but the last one i think is probable sir harry oaks house guest that night was harold christie who actually owed him a ton of fucking money oh Oaks had called in his loan, so to speak, is what the theory is. And he was planning to leave the Bahamas and go live in Mexico. That's their thought. Okay. Christie, with the help of his brother, killed Oaks. Now, there was a report that Christie was spotted by a policeman in Nassau out on the town the night of the murder. And he claims that he was home all night with Oaks during the murder. Okay. In a different room of the house. Yeah. The theory is that he had stolen the money and planned to burn the entire house down, which is why, you know, the bed and the netting caught fire, but the fire wound up not spreading. So Christy then pretended to return to the scene and sleep through the whole thing as his alibi, which doesn't make any sense. No, and I'm, like, surprised that the police wouldn't... But did he have influence with the police? Uh, Harold Christie? Yeah. Mm, I wouldn't say influence. They were really, like, absolutely incompetent because it was people... It was, like, you know, Bahamian people who were acting on, you know... Because this is what I'm still wondering. And if you're going to get to this, tell me to just shut up. But (laughs) yeah, I'm still wondering who... Who framed the French guy? I'll tell you. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to end with that. Okay. Okay. Um, So I think probably that Harold Christie did it. Okay. And I think that the Duke wanted it shushed and covered up because this was a haven for rich British people to come and live. Right. Um, So they didn't want anything bad happening or any crimes on the island. Yeah. It is believed that the Duke had the two Miami cops framed de Marinier to get the case over and done with because it was a huge embarrassment to Britain. To this day, many people believe that Harold Christie was the murderer. And unfortunately, he died in 1973, still a rich, old, douchey white man untouched by the law. Of course. So, yeah. Interesting. Miami cops framed de Marinier. The Duke was behind it. 
Harry Oakes was murdered by Harold Christie, all for stupid money and colonialism. Oh, God. <laughs> Jeez. Have That's nice interesting. <laughs> that is a definitely an interesting story. Yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely wild. Wow. Well, before you... Um, Man, I don't even know. Fuck off to an island to avoid taxes? Yes. <laughs> Maybe uh, check out this podcast. <laughs> My name is Hunter. And I'm Haley. And we're your hosts of Murder and Such, a podcast about true crime, serial killers, and other dark subject matter. Join us while we fill your ear holes with some crappy comedy and disgusting tales. You can now find us on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and all of your podcatcher services. You can like us on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter. At Murder and Such. Hope to hear from you guys soon. Bye. Bye. All right, Janelle. That has been our episode. We're done. I gotta go make some more tea, man. <laughs> you're, you're it's about suffering. time. I feel Speaking like it's a of tea. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> totally on purpose for that segue. Total segue. Yes. You still have time until December thirty first to Ooh. use our code BTC Pod to get ten percent off of Casting Whimsy Tea. Okay. So go do that. Yeah. If you're sick like Vicky. Go get some tea. Seriously, I have, and I'll tell you what, I am not nor like I do not normally drink tea. I'm a coffee drinker. I will occasionally have tea, but definitely when I'm sick mm-hmm. and this time of year, I have just been guzzling the stuff. You should see the obscene amount of tea I have. Yeah. At work, I made a little tea stand. Nice. There is a literal wood like carton that contains various teas and a glass tea kettle with a diffuser in it. It's it's magnificent. And then I have another thing of tea at my house. And then I bought a tea advent calendar. Like it's too much. Too much tea. Is it though? It's not. I drink tea every single day. You drink a lot of tea, yeah. Every day. That's not a lot. (laughs) Yeah. So now's the time to get your tea. It's that time it's a good time of year. Tea up. Tea up. Tea up. Um, so you can you can do that by going to castingwhimsy.com. Um, you can order online or in the store. What's the code one more time? BTC pod. Yeah. Or if you go in person, you'd be like, I know the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. And they'll be like, 10% off for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope they'd be that excited about it. <laughs> that would be fun. Um, what else do we got? I don't think we have anything else. I mean... That's pretty much it. Merch? <laughs> merch? Oh, yeah. If you need a last minute holiday gift, we have merch. <laughs> merch it up. Uh, you can go to badtastecrimepod.com. That'll link you on over. Yeah. That's right, right? Yeah. That's what our website Just is. Just look up Bad Taste Crime Podcast and you'll find all You'll find things. it. Yeah. It's there. Um, <laughs> if you like this episode, you can find this and many, many more at our website, Bad Taste Crime Pod. We also have merch, uh, a donate page. If you feel like uh, supporting the show, you can do that there also. Mm-hmm. You can. Uh, yeah. That's a podcast. That's a podcast. <laughs> That's a podcast. I was trying to look and see w- when this one's going to come out because I have no idea. I'm pretty sure it's mid-December. I think it's right after Christmas. Okay. So if it was Christmas, uh, uh, hope you have a good one. And if it's after, hope it was great. <laughs> hope you had a holiday. We're just covering. <laughs> we're covering all of our bases. Just there's, there's be how many safe. Be healthy. Between- 
December 1st and January 3rd. I think there's 15 holidays. So have a holiday. Yeah, have one. You have just one, though. Or many. Or many, I guess. Tis Celebrate the season. Yes. It's fine. Um, on that note, our sound and editing is by Tiff Fullman. Our music is by Jason Zakshevsky, The Enigma. <laughs> I love having you that need a button, button back board now. I know, uh, like Lap a soundboard with little of those. Lap yes, and we can get our applause. applause. Yes, Air horn, uh, this <laughs> has been the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. We will see you in two weeks. Goodbye. Bye.